This is 88.5 WFDD. While parts of the triad are flourishing, new bike trails, microbreweries, and coffee shops, below the shiny surface lies a region in crisis. Children without enough to eat and families unable to climb out of poverty. At the center of it all is housing instability. Since 2014, about half of the renters in Guilford and Forsyth counties have faced eviction, some several times. WFDD, in collaboration with Carolina Data Desk at the UNC Chapel Hill School of Media and Journalism and Wake Forest University's journalism program, looked into the numbers and stories behind this startling fact. Winston-Salem and Greensboro have among the highest eviction rates in the country. The math is simple and unforgiving. Sluggish wage growth and rising rents mean being put out can be just one car repair, utility bill, or health crisis away. Today, WFDD's David Ford looks at life on that razor's edge and the toll it's taking on the renters who live there. For the past 22 years, Wanda Faye Shelton has called this modest three-bedroom bungalow rental home. On a rainy morning in March, the 72-year-old widow is packing up boxes filled with four generations of belongings, and Shelton's making tough choices on what stays and what goes. I, I don't get but a little over $700 a month, and I can't, I just couldn't pay all the bills. Shelton doesn't want to leave this place. Her landlord is evicting her. For decades, she shared the monthly rent with her mom and one sister. They've both since passed away, leaving Shelton to stretch her fixed income to pay rent and care for her teenage granddaughter, Jamie. Even with help from her part-time job at McDonald's, the numbers just don't add up. Since 2014 in the triad, more than 100,000 eviction cases have been brought against people just like her, renters navigating the thin line between being sheltered and homeless. Shelton tires easily after recovering from a recent outbreak of chickenpox and shingles. She can only pack for short spurts before needing to rest. She slowly scans the cluttered room, illuminated by a bare light bulb dangling from the ceiling at the end of a bright orange extension cord. Half-filled boxes, stacks of papers, a few photos and paintings hang on the dark pine wood walls. I've never gotten an eviction notice. Never. And I've never been in a a situation where I really don't have a home. I don't have a place, you know, to live. For all her family has paid in rent, they could have owned this house several times over. Now she's out and has no claim on it. For Shelton, this is personal, and she's losing trust in people. The reality is, when it comes to eviction court, all parties lose something. For landlords, this is income. It's money spent changing over a vacated unit, lost when renters stop paying and while the apartment remains empty. That, of course, gets resolved with a new tenant, but for renters, often the working poor, eviction can be the beginning of a long, downward spiral. Families in low-income communities don't have the cushion that they need to just pay their kind of everyday bills. That's Satana Debiri. She's the former North Carolina Housing Coalition executive director and current Durham County district attorney. So they tend to fall behind on rent, any type of issues they might have with their car, if they have a family member who needs to be bailed out of jail or who has other financial issues, they just don't have the cushion to both pay their rent 
and deal with the things that come up every day. But for all the stress evictions cause, the process itself is strangely mechanical. Nine o'clock every weekday morning, landlords and tenants file into a nondescript waiting area. Anywhere between a handful to dozens of people sit in chairs lined against the walls. A magistrate calls out names, inviting parties one case at a time into a small adjoining office, hands on the Bible for a quick swearing in, doors left wide open, deeply personal, life-changing discussions on public display. WFDD and Wake Forest University students routinely visited eviction court over the last nine months. We had hoped to bring you audio from those hearings, but court rules prohibited us from taking our equipment inside. Requests to make an exception were repeatedly denied. Here, then, is our best attempt to describe what goes on there. First step, a landlord arrives at the county clerk of court's office. He fills out a summons and a request to eject the tenant. Almost always, the reason is simple. The tenant is short or late on rent. And I had paid my rent for February. I, I figured that was fair. But see, they had papers saying I owed about $3,000 and something. Next comes the knock on the door from the sheriff's deputy. Answering the door carries an unusual risk. You're on the hook for the unpaid rent in the form of a judgment against your name. Can't pay, your credit takes a hit. If you don't answer, the deputy simply posts the notice on the door. The landlord eventually gets possession of the property. You're still left with an eviction on your record, but no money judgment. I got home and the next thing I know, somebody was knocking on the door. Well, I, don't, I wasn't opening my door because I live alone and that's not the best of a neighborhood. The next morning, we sitting down here. I'm getting ready to go to work. I see a sheriff pull up. These papers on our door, we had eviction notice. Two weeks later, the landlord comes to court to make his case and hopefully get the blessing of a magistrate to evict his tenant. Uh, it was just cut dry. I mean, we went there and we talked to the magistrate. Most of the time, this is a simple, quick ask, and the questions come rapid fire. Do you have a lease? What does your lease say about rent being due and notice to evict? But other times, it's contentious. I put security storm doors on my houses. They'll kick the screens in. They'll kick the doors in that they lock themselves out of the house. Um, they'll break a window. They don't care. At least fix the kitchen floor, fix the bathroom like it's supposed to be, get some heat in here because winter time is coming. Sometimes the matter is finished in a minute or less. Usually the tenant doesn't show up. But when she does, things can quickly get expensive because showing up, just like answering that door, can mean you're on the hook. When I got behind on my rent, uh, we had to go to court, and then I was able to pay before the extra 10 days they give you after court. And so having to pay them right at the start of a new month, I got behind again. About a third of the time, the cases are resolved before they even get in front of a magistrate. Often it's because the tenant and landlord reach an agreement and the case gets tossed the same day of the hearing. Other times, the tenant brings proof she already settled her debt. Once I showed him the paperwork with her name on it showing that I paid the rent, that's when the judge was like, you said that they didn't pay any rent. And he just basically dismissed it after that. Whatever the judgment is, both the tenant and landlord have 10 days to appeal. Then the landlord can go back to the clerk's office and ask that the sheriff's office assist while he changes the locks. 
That final knock from the deputy comes about 10 days later. Instructions are simple. Grab a few necessities, medicine, a change of clothes, and get out. Tenants can arrange to come back for their belongings at a time that's convenient for the landlord. Well, since right now uh, I don't have anywhere to uh, go because all income-based apartments, they are on the waiting list. So I'm just going to go one day at a time. Right now they're just trying to get some money together so hopefully we can get somewhere because if I'm on the street and the condition I'm in, I'm not, I'm not going to make it. The entire eviction process can take several weeks, but these steps are almost always the same. It's impossible to know how many tenants wind up on the streets, the courts don't track that, but nearly 90% of the time, the tenants lose. Some pack up the moment the sheriff tacks the notice on the door. Many leave before the hearing even takes place. Others settle up and find a way to stay even after the landlord wins in court, and still others linger until the sheriff makes that final knock on the door. The voices you heard are a small sampling from the dozens of people we spoke with following their appearance in eviction court. Richard Zuccaro, Donald Coker, Jacqueline Hurst, Katasha Whitfield, Charles Spencer, Vincent Taylor, Arkbaugh Hurst, Kimberly Robinson, and Sandra Cruz. On Wanda Faye Shelton's day in eviction court, she appears even smaller than her barely five-foot frame. Her imposing son, Bobby Lucas, sits beside her, whispering in her ear, translating what he can of the unfamiliar process. Just how many people there were, it was just horrible. There was 24 people being evicted just from that company that day. Lucas and his mom didn't come here to win. They knew the rent was too steep for her to manage. They came with one simple request, a few extra days to pack up a house and basement filled over decades. They said they would give us at the end of the month, but, you know, after that, they couldn't guarantee anything unless we pay a month's rent. That day in court will follow Shelton for years. Because she showed up, she's now responsible for unpaid rent, late fees, and court costs. The demand letter came in the mail just a few days later, a debt of nearly $1,400. And her name is now marked in another way, too. It's a bright red flag for landlords. She was a tenant who did not pay her rent. That's going to stick with her for at least seven years. Meanwhile, in the triad, the rental market is booming. Hey, Heather. Hi, David. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you. Come on back. At the Vista Realty Home Office in Winston-Salem, President Heather Coleman manages 1,000 apartment homes. Business people like her know that after a month or two of unpaid rent, the chances of recovering that money are slim. They have to cut their losses quickly. Coleman credits much of her company's longevity and success to careful background checks. The best thing to know is about someone is their history. Today, Coleman contracts a third-party software company to run detailed screenings on all of her tenant applicants. And so we look at the last couple years to kind of see what their history is, if, especially if they owe any other apartment or housing community. that They're automatically denied, to be honest, if they do. Again, it becomes a pattern. If someone has skipped out before, they probably will skip out again. There are exceptions if they can demonstrate an ongoing legal dispute or prove that they are paying off their balance. For Wanda Shelton's eviction case, that's out of the question. Same for the thousands of renters like her. Greensboro Housing Coalition Executive Director Brett Byerly sees daily how the stain of eviction lingers. 
For his clients, the rental options are limited and they're not good. Broken windows, mold, crime. Byerly says a routine computer search for an affordable unit might show 40 hits. Filtered for landlords who don't screen for evictions, just two or three. And he says the people he sees the most are single mothers. In the same way that, you know, a young man gets locked up for some sort of minor drug charge, what we're seeing is young women are getting kind of pushed out in the same way that these young men are getting pushed out because now I have an eviction and nobody in the world wants to talk to me. Byerly says it's a cycle that's becoming increasingly difficult to break. It was easier when the vacancy rates were 8 10 percent for people with evictions and things on their background to be able to still access some sort of decent housing. It's almost impossible for someone in this market that we're in with the vacancy rates being what they are to access anything decent or maybe to be able to access anything at all. Shelton hoped to get into a public housing unit, but there are no spots available. She's on the wait list. Housing authorities in Forsyth and Guilford counties simply don't have the resources to meet the current demand, and wait times run between three and seven years. For now, with nowhere else to go, Shelton will share a trailer home with her other sister. My granddaughter and I are going to have to stay with her a little while and maybe go stay with my daughter. And they, they, um, we're just going to have to bounce around till we can get something. Is that scary for you? Mm-hmm. Yes, very. Very scary. Shelton's sister, Rachel Barbary, who is herself battling bone cancer, is helping as much as she can with the move, steadying the ship, and reminiscing about their mother, who lived her final days in this house. We have our memories of her being here. Uh, and she wanted her family like a, a glove, fitting tight. And we tried to do that. And so it was for the children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren who visited this place. Today, as they load the last boxes, both sisters take small comfort in those memories. I worry about Faye, but the, the hurt is here, too, in my heart, in my life, because uh, uh, this is home, but it won't be home anymore. It won't be home anymore. And for Wanda Faye Shelton, she doesn't know what the future holds, but she knows it won't be easy. The very safety net programs like Social Security and government housing assistance set up to allow seniors like Shelton to live out their lives with dignity aren't enough. All she's left with now is another bill she'll be unable to pay. For WFDD News, I'm David Ford.